Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ship Chasing's FFPC Playoff Challenge Week. We have a full week of programming kicking off today with our friend John Daigle from NBC Sports Edge. But before we get to the playoff challenge, we have a very important news out of Chicago. Listen, Matt, have a seat. I was consulting with my dear beloved mother last night as she tucked me in with my customary story and warm glass of milk. And I asked her how she felt about this Chicago Bears season. And she reiterated to me as all good mothers would how deeply, deeply disappointed she is in me personally. Matt, you couldn't get it done with the last first round quarterback pick. And then you built the offense around a journeyman who looked overmatched even in the preseason. And you forced the new first round QB pick to play in that offense. He called far fewer early down passes when he was in there, though, uh, asking him to succeed as a passer on the obvious passing downs and taking away the non-obvious passing downs. Look, I don't actually know anything about any of this. I read it in a substack somewhere. Anyway, everything is off. The team sucked no matter who was at QB, and it's time for a change. Please pack up your office. And uh, P.S. Olin Krutz is a liar and a thief and probably a murderer. Yeah, yeah, Matt, we're, we're still on for Friday. Reservations at six. Welcome to Ship Chasing. <laughs> Felt good to break that news here. Even the boomer, uh, you know, having trouble ending the video there. <laughs> yeah, I love that. How do we the editing software? <laughs> Oh my God. The the reviews are already coming in uh, on the ship chasing Twitter. Uh, I think that's a bit we're going to have to bring back uh, Gretch as you shepherd in the next era of Chicago coaching. Um, John Daigle, welcome to ship chasing, man. Last time you were here, I don't think you remembered being here. You're muted. muted. This is oddly enough that that was just full circle right there. Uh, I remember the first five minutes cannot promise anything after that so much so that I think I sent a few texts the next day and over the course of a couple of weeks, uh, learning things about that show that I was not aware of. So happy to be here. it took me 48 hours to recover from that last show, but we're doing well. We scheduled it for an early afternoon instead. So good to go right now. Yes. Uh, yeah, you found out things that were said on that episode via an Adam Levitan solo pod. Uh, that that's how that's how blacked out you were. And uh, I didn't realize that I was intelligent enough, at least in my state, to mute the mic before I. What happened? I, I know Gretch was messaging me the next day asking what happened. Well, what happened is I fell asleep on the bathroom floor. That's what happened. <laughs> and then I woke up to Streamyard still being open, uh, and I didn't realize like what had happened before that. But then I went back watched a couple minutes, got embarrassed by that couple minutes, turned it off and said, okay, well, that's for the archives forever. So we'll just leave it at that. My favorite part was Pete never took your window off the street. We just had the empty screen for the whole rest of the show for like an hour. Well, in case he came back, I wanted him to feel like he could slide right back in. Um, all right. So as I mentioned, as you guys have heard, uh, we are obsessed with the FFPC playoff challenge. Last year, I think we did three shows and this year we said we're kicking it up a notch we're going five shows so this entire week we're gonna have a show each day um pat why don't you for the uninitiated just give a very high level overview of what this contest is and then we can kind of drill down from there yeah so the way this contest works is that you select a typical ffpc lineup which is a tight end premium scoring format uh the normal format has two flexes two wide receivers tight end quarterback kicker defense this has four flexes because of the way the playoffs are set up but that still leaves two teams that don't fit into your lineup so essentially what you're doing is you're picking one player from every nfl team in the playoffs except two that you completely hard fade and don't, don't pick anyone from at all uh, and that includes kicker and defense so you can only pick mahomes you can't pick kelsey and hill if you pick mahomes etc so you just pick one player from each nfl team it's pretty simple uh, but the way that the sort of chalk condenses and stuff makes this a pretty fun contest. You also have to be thinking through which teams are going to advance because you're getting their, their scores through the entire playoffs and the Super Bowl counts for double points. So you got to think who's going to the Super Bowl and 
when a team gets to the Super Bowl, which player do you actually want in the Super Bowl? Um, Gretch, what is it? Because uh, you fall in love with this contest each year. What is it about this contest that that gets you so excited? Um, I don't. I mean, the game theory, I guess. Um, there's so many layers to it, obviously, right? I mean, it, at first, it's very simple. You, you were just saying this in, in our chat. Like at first, it's it seems very simple, and then you start peeling back layers, and you're like, you know, there's it's uh it's like a puzzle, you know, like how you want to play. It's kind of like DFS, but obviously with the additional elements that Pat just described. If you only get one player from each team, you got to be able to understand how the different positions are going to play out over the four games. Obviously teams that are playing more games matter and the double points in the Super Bowl matters. But um, at the end of the day, like there's this math element where like, who's going to differentiate from their position the most? Is there going to be a quarterback who plays four games and has a big Super Bowl and winds up scoring a hundred more points than every other quarterback? Cause that's possible. Right. Or that, that's also possible tight end. It's less possible at running back and receiver, but obviously you have to fill more spots there. And those guys, when they do differentiate even by, 30 points are going to be locks to be in the, in the, the optimal, what you, what you're going to want. Uh, so, so many ways to consider it. A lot of these teams have the, um, you know, the, the clear top dudes on, on their rosters as like the, the clear producers. Other ones have a few more. Um, some are, you know, highly unconcentrated. Like think about like the Patriots, right? Some are concentrated, but they have multiple options still like, you know, the Cowboys and, and Bengals, right? They have like three guys that we know are the guys, but, in the passing game, but like it could be any of them over multiple weeks. And so like, how do you play all that stuff? The, the game theory of it is really fascinating to me. Daigle, what is the, uh, the first thing uh, where your brain goes when you, you open up this blank lineup and you know, you have to start filling out uh, a roster that is set uh, on Saturday and you can't touch it for the rest of the playoffs. It may be more recency bias, but we've seen the last two seasons in particular that the workhorse running backs at lower seeds are typically the ones that pull people through, pull the winners through, more importantly. A couple of years ago, we got Dalvin Cook with the Vikings as underdogs in New Orleans, I think it was. Last year, we had the Browns, which in hindsight, it seems crazy to say the Browns were underdogs against the Steelers. Nonetheless, they were underdogs, and Nick Chubb lit the FFPC playoff challenge on fire. And so that's kind of where I go to first was saying, which workhorse running back can I get 20-plus touches out of for at least two weeks in an upset and when you're looking down the list, I think there are, are honestly a couple of viable options here. Uh, not so much an upset, but if you wanted to, and I'm sure we'll get into the game theory of all this eventually, but if you wanted to pivot to Joe Mixon, and that may be popular since the last time we saw the Bengals defeat the Raiders, it was donkey Zach Taylor that made an appearance with 30 running back carries or 32 running back carries at 29 passes. Mixon himself had 30 carries. You could also go the Patriots over the Bills, knowing it's going to be a run-heavy game script for the Patriots. And although the Bills did run, I believe it finished the year. Well, no, not because because Monday night ruined this stat. But prior to that, the Bills ran the most fourth down attempts after Sean McDermott had basically been a coward last year's AFC championship game against the Chiefs kicking field goals inside the 20 and arrowhead, uh, feeling really good about a 6-0 lead for some reason at the end of the first quarter, thinking that would actually matter. And then earlier this year against the Bucs, choose opting for field goals as well, but did finally get aggressive trying to win and defeating the Patriots last time we saw them. I believe that was over Christmas weekend, a holiday weekend at least. And so thinking the Bills, like, could somehow, again, dominate the Patriots. I don't know if that's the case so much. So we can also look to Ramondre Stevenson or Damian Harris, pending how Ramondre Stevenson's injury shakes out, in particular in this first round. Or if you want to go to Eagles-Bucks, I think the Eagles, you know, as scary as this, as dumb as this sounds, not scary, as idiotic as this sounds, I think the Eagles have a legitimate chance here, given the COVID list for the Bucs, and more importantly, all the injuries happening over the second half of the season, If you've, even if you take away quarterback carries, like the, the Bucs played the Bills, the Bucs played a couple other rushing quarterbacks, you take away quarterback carries from week nine on, and the Bucs are still bottom five in percentage of 10-plus runs allowed to opposing running backs. And we know that's how the Eagles are going to approach this game, and they had success doing that the last time they played the Bucs, and that was without Dallas Goddard. That was before Jordan Howard was a factor. So I'm just looking at these three matchups thinking, how can I get contrarian from the rest of the field in these particular instances? Yeah, and I think – there that's where we're gonna you know as the week evolves you know next tomorrow we're gonna hit um you know an early look at ownership projections because that's really when we're gonna be able to see you know where do we think the field is going where is the field being overconfident it really does kind of play out similar to dfs in that regard where it's not necessarily like you're trying to be right we're trying to get paid off 
uh, when we are right in the biggest way possible. Pat, we went hard at this last year, went even deeper than we had in previous years. What would you say are some of the kind of like key takeaways that we learned from last year's experience or whether mistakes you don't want to make again or things you want to try to emulate here this year? Well, I, to, uh, to just emphasize Daigle's point about the running backs, I think one of the best plays, probably the best play that we made last year was Cam Akers, um, who was another underdog running back who hit. Um, and, you know, the, the the names that Daigle floated, I think, are definitely interesting. Uh, guys, he didn't mention Najee Harris and Josh Jacobs, I think will be really interesting how people play those guys this year. Uh, but, yeah, I think for me, the ownership was a little bit different at quarterback than I had projected it. Uh, in particular, I had over-projected Tom Brady, under-projected Josh Allen. And I think people were just playing that position more for like the projected points rather than trying to make sure their quarterback was in the Super Bowl. Tom Brady actually ended up being a pretty nice play uh, because he he wasn't all that highly owned and uh, they obviously did win the Super Bowl. So um, that's something I want to be like thinking through a little bit better. It's just the quarterback projected ownership. And I think it's it's tough. Like as I look through it, <laughs> The quarterback, the way it's going to split up is tough because I don't think Allen's going to be quite as popular as he was last year. Um, and there's a few guys that are like semi-interesting, like Dak, uh, you know, that that I don't think will be like really popular either. Yeah. And Ben, I think one of the things I've noticed too with this contest, and this happens in a lot of fantasy stuff, but recency bias plays a major you know, part in, in which players are used the most from, from teams. I think the Bengals are a pretty interesting example, you know, Jabbar chase coming off of these really big games. Um, are there any players that you're kind of noticing from this, you know, week 18 or these past few weeks that you think, um, are going to be incredibly popular just because of how strong they finished? I don't have any great ones in mind. I was thinking about this watching the game last night, the crazy game that Mike Williams was just getting targeted so much late. Um, and I looked at that box score this morning. Keenan Allen only had eight targets. I think it, it might have flipped some stuff toward Williams if the Chargers would have got in, but they didn't, obviously. Um, but Jacobs was huge for them down the stretch. I mean, that's one where I think it took a little while, but people recognize that Jacobs has a little bit of a different role this year than he has the last couple of years. He's still running uh, – excuse me, still, still a workhorse, still getting goal line touches and, and all that, but he's, he's running more routes and things. And so uh, we are seeing like that, like we're, we're talking about some, definitely some interesting running back uh, options, but as we start to like dip, peel back the layers and look at all the teams a little bit uh, there's not, it's not as deep of a contest at running back, especially when we lost JT, we lost Eckler potentially uh, guys like Jacobs, I think are interesting. Um in that regard, or at least will be looked at positively. Uh, you know, he had a really strong finish and he's such a key part of what they do. But I don't think a lot of people are going to pick the Raiders to win. So maybe that's not a great example. I hadn't really. Well, the, the interesting thing about, <clears throat> I think just one thing about the contest in general is that you can kind of play it two different ways or a combination of, of both of these ways, but you can pick upsets where let's say you, you go like Jacobs and then you go like Bengals kicker or, you know, just don't select anyone from them at all. Or you can go Josh Jacobs and Jamar Chase and play for it to be a shootout. Or you go, you know, Darren Waller and Jamar Chase, whatever you want to do. And I think getting those shootouts right, because there's probably going to be one to two, like, true shootouts. There's some high over-unders on this on this slate as well. So, you know, if you, if you nail the shootout players, then that gives you a big edge. And then in that sense, you can pick, I think it gives you a little bit more leeway to pick, like, more chalky advances as well. Because uh, you're you're getting yeah. sort of an uh, an advantage, you're you're setting a lead up with with getting that shootout. It's right kind of like the the Chubb play from last year. And if you would have done that with the Steelers receiver, Juju yeah. ended up being the highest scoring one. But Deontay was also really good in that game. Timu um, brings up a good point though that yeah. is an overarching emphasis for me, and it's Dalton Schultz's stock up for the Cowboys. But more importantly, it's when you look at this slate, like. Just you could flex all tight ends if you wanted to. Like we brought all the big dogs to the playoffs. Um, Dalton Schultz, like carrying a twenty-plus percent target share from his last three games into the postseason. Plus you have Gronk, and um, you know we'll talk about Evans a little bit too. But Gronk is there. George Kittle, Darren Waller. If you want to get a little contrarian, Travis Kelsey. We have to wait and see about Ty Tyreek Hill's injury because that will also play into Kelsey's ownership. So overall, like playing all the tight ends, especially in you know a, uh, a tight end premium option, is is just. Is going to this, be a heavy weighted option for is, every lineup. 
super funny because I was telling these guys earlier, like I think this is like my my clearest early takeaway too was the was the tight ends. Um and I was just gonna bring up Timu's comment. But no, I completely agree with you. Uh Goddard's another one. You mentioned the Eagles, like I think you know he'll be somewhat popular to play from the Eagles from people who don't fade them. The the, the we should obviously talk about the, the fade um strategy as well. You have to full fade two teams, you have to soft fade two teams with a kicker or a defense pick. And so those four teams who they're going to be a lot of times it, uh, Pat, you're going to have to comment on this better than I can, but it seems like it concentrates. And last year, one of the things we did yes. with some of our lineups, we played some Washington, we played some Chicago skill players because they were teams that were going to be heavily faded or maybe their kickers and D's would be thrown in. The Eagles look like that team this year. The Patriots look like that team. I think with the Raiders getting in, they look like that team as well. Maybe a soft fade and the Steelers. I mean, I think those are probably the four likeliest candidates. I think Arizona sort of a low key possibility to be soft faded in some spots with their kicker defense um but yeah i mean I, there's gonna be interesting ways to play those those specific teams goddard might be one for the eagles to daigles but daigle named all the other ones i mean you have kelsey you have kittle you have waller you have gronk you have Ertz potentially for the the cardinals as their best option you have yeah. schultz you have goddard there it's an insane tight end field yeah well the thing and for to- me with <clears throat> go ahead go ahead Pete. Uh, for, I was just going to emphasize, and, and Gretch said it, but just because they're going to be terms we say a lot this week, uh, full fade obviously means you're not using a single player uh, in your roster. We use soft fade if you're using them at kicker or defense. You're, you're, you're not, you don't want your soft fade to make it to the Super Bowl. Um, and so that that's the kind of terminology there. But go ahead, Pat. Yeah, I, I think uh, Gretch's point about uh, this condensing is – is really on like we're going to, we saw last year uh, 74% of the field either hard faded or, or soft faded uh, LA. Uh, so, I mean, and then 82% of the field had some kind of fade on Washington, 67 and a half on Chicago. Um, 74 saw, on the Rams last year. Oh, cause God, the Rams was like banged up. That's they, why yeah, they were an underdog so to, right. Yeah. They were an underdog to Seattle. But they they had, uh, you know, according to the Vegas money line for, you know, just their their odds of winning the NFC, Vegas had a 6.3% chance of making the Super Bowl. If you look at Tennessee, they had a 9.1% chance of making the Super Bowl, not all that much higher. They were faded by 6% of the field. That's all fades. So you do see it kind of concentrate the other way where the, like, for example, I think the Rams are probably going to have around the same amount of fades as the Titans did last year because they've got a player like Derrick Henry last year in Cooper Cup that everyone's going to want to play. And it's hard to even talk yourself into scenarios where the Rams lose and Cooper Cup, you know, you'd rather have the kicker than Cooper Cup. Like, really? I think you'd still yeah. rather have Cup. So it's it's going to be – you see it kind of concentrating in both ways. It's not completely synced up to the chances that these teams make the Super Bowl. And one thing that I noticed that happens, and I was just doing an underdog draft, and it's something that I think can actually apply to this as well, is kind of the market's certainty over some of these matchups. And and uh, Dominic mentioning this Cincinnati-Las Vegas game here. So, you know, the money line for the Raiders winning is plus 215. So that's an implied probability of 31%. Um, one Almost one out of three times they win that game. Yet I just do an underdog draft. Joe Mixon goes in the second round, and I take Josh Jacobs in the 10th round. And that kind of dynamic is going to play out in the FFPC contest as well, where even though I have a a 30% chance, the way people are forced to make decisions in this contest leads to more binary decisions where that gets shifted down. Once we see Josh Jacobs ownership come in, it probably won't be reflected in their implied probability to actually win this game. And so similar to DFS contests, you know, getting outside your comfort zone with some of these things that everyone isn't predicting to happen can really be how you get a leg up on things. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, and I think with with Cincinnati, that's another team where it's just very hard to see them getting a lot of soft or full fades because uh, you basically have to bet that, you know, Chase, Higgins, Mixon, none of those guys gets there in a loss against the Raiders defense that we know people can put up points on. And so it just makes you very uncomfortable. And then I think the fact that you then immediately go, well, I'm not going to do that. So then you slot in, let's say, Jamar Chase. It makes it easier to fade the Raiders as well because you're like, well, I already picked Chase, so I might as well. So you kind of like talk yourself into it. And by the way, you you mentioned uh, earlier we were talking about the recency bias element. 
I mean, Daniel Carlson's got as much recency bias as anyone. So <laughs> <laughs> I think we could see a popular Raiders kicker with welcome with, uh, Danny Carter to the show, player. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Burrow, of course, since the Bengals like closed yeah. the year with their with their two best games with their starters in. So yeah, I imagine Bengals offense will take all the pass catching options with them. Yeah. One one other note, just broadly, Pete, because we're kind of doing the the easy takeaway. I think when you're building teams, one thing that you got to keep in mind if you're not super familiar with this contest or anything is, and we kind of are hitting on this, but is what the matchups are, right? Like, so you kind of want to tell yourself a bracket. This might be very obvious, but one of the things you don't want to wind up with is a soft fade and a hard fade, any combination where they're playing each other. Like say you really, you wanted to fade the Bengals and you also faded the Raiders in some way. One of those teams has to win. And in all likelihood, if a team plays two games, we're probably going to see, not the kicker or the defense, certainly not a full fade. They're gonna they're gonna have somebody in, from a skill position be in, the, you know, the optimal, or, or you're gonna want somebody. And so, looking at all these first round matchups, uh, like say you're not real high on Tampa and you decide you're gonna just play their kicker or something, then you probably also though want to make sure you get an Eagle skill player in because one of the ways that makes sense is the Eagles actually winning that game, right? You don't want to have the Eagles as a full fade and Tampa's kicker. That's you know, you're, you're locking yourself in from a structure perspective to having either a softer full fade on a team that's going to play at least two games. And so definitely look at the matchups. And we see this every year, by the way, it might seem kind of like an obvious point, but you see, you go through and you see teams, uh, uh, lineups that have part of the bracket just locked in. Okay. I'm going to have either no one in the next round or a kicker or defense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other thing we should mention too, because this is what really gets the juices flowing and is, uh, what is so fun about this is, so they do have two different contests, uh, this year, they have a $200 price point and a $35 price point. The $200 contest has $500,000 up top. So this is the prize pool and it does extend all the way down to 850th place. And there's some different prizes in here as far as main event entries, Etc. And I believe what is the max, Ben? Is it 150 max entries? Yeah, 150 max, 7250 total entries. Okay. Yeah. So in last year, this did end up filling. Was it mid to late week that it filled? Can't recall. Yeah. No, so no, if, if it, you it are yeah, it, it'll definitely fill. I believe the $35 <laughs> one is bigger. Um, but yeah, just making that. I think PSA. the 35 was later, if I remember. I think, I think <clears throat> it did definitely fill. I think if you want to get in, I think you should register reasonably early. Uh, mm. Another thing we saw this year was the FFPC main event filled, I think, on Monday or Tuesday of the final week. I was still looking to get into some, to add some additional teams. And by, I think it was by at least Tuesday. You know, they still have drafts on Friday and Saturday after the Thursday opener. Even those were all booked. So the, and that, those are those are more fun to do. Right. One yeah. thing I would say is uh like if you have kind of the budget to do like one of the two hundred or you know, you can do a, a handful of the thirty-five do the handful of the thirty-five would be my recommendation because yeah. it's fun to think through different scenarios. <clears throat> Although I think Pat, the, would, the payout structure is flatter on the two hundred. So something to think would about. you how would you recommend say say if someone was going to make three lineups for this and I was in the ship chasing discord and it seemed like most people were kind of in that range you know talking about you know making one to five lineups for the contest would it be by making you know however many lineups you're going to make make that many different brackets and then reverse engineer your picks from your bracket would that be kind of your starting point yeah I think making the bracket um is a great place to start and like you know, even within that, trying to think through like, okay, I'm playing this game to shoot out. I'm playing, you know, if you have a contrarian idea about a team advancing, I think you really want to play your lineup with that idea in mind. And another thing to think through is like, if a team's going to advance, how are they going to advance? Like if you're betting like, okay, so let's say the Patriots, if you're taking the Patriots, you know, the chalk skill player on the Patriots is going to be Damian Harris. But if you're betting on the Patriots to advance multiple rounds, you still probably want to take Damian Harris, you know, even though he's the chalky guy, because uh, if they beat the Bills, you know, we know exactly what their game plan is going to be. And, if you know, if they end up winning multiple games, it's probably going to be on the back of the run game. So then you want to, like, have that reflected in what else you do with that lineup. Maybe you get contrarian with the Bills, you know. I think they would play the Titans in the next round, most likely. So you get contrarian around um, what you're doing with those other teams, you know, 
for example, maybe you don't play Derrick Henry because the, the Titans are going to be losing, so they may be passing more or, or whatever it is. But I wouldn't necessarily like talk myself off of the main piece of the team that I want to advance in because you just want to think through, like, how is this team winning in the first place? Yeah, and Daigle, I feel like that there's a few of these teams that are pretty interesting. I know we keep mentioning the Bengals, but they're a team when they have a lead, they're more than content to just run the shit out of the ball. We just saw them play, you know, pants on fire, high high rate over expectation passing these past two games. Are there any of these teams that you think are fragile as far as kind of like their pass rate? You know, if you're deciding between your Joe Mixon versus your pass catcher type situations here, I think the Cowboys would probably be another example of that. Are you trying to egg me on to Thank Cowboys? Yeah. Yeah. That's why we bring you Considering this past week against Philly's second stringers for the first time he talked 70 yards rushing since week five, I think I'll uh, stay away from Scott and Zeke in this slate and this challenge. Um, I think the Bucks are really interesting since we're waiting on Leonard Fournette. And remember, like Fournette was the actual engine of the Bucks offense over the last month of the season as uh, Brady was like slowly decaying before our very eyes. And then they had no choice but to pass heavier. And of course, then they lost Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown. And so now in this, in this challenge, like I do, I do, I would really love to see what Fournette will be rostered at, especially because I can't imagine it'll be high since Gronk and Evans are right there and super interesting ideas, especially Brady as well. And I'd love to see what Derrick Henry is going to be. Do y'all know, do y'all have like a lean right now? on what Henry will be over AJ Brown. I think Henry, I have Henry right now and it's 70%. Uh, it's kind of a, and I okay. may bring that down. I had like 70% and then AJ Brown at like 26% or something. But uh, Henry was at, I think, 71% last year. Uh, and they had lower odds of advancing. And I know he's coming off the injury, but uh, I, I just like, I don't really see how people get off Henry with, you know, there's like so much excitement for him to come back. Uh, AJ Brown was only 18% last year. So I actually have him up from where he was last year. I think people are going to play the Titans because they get the home game and the bye. So they're not, you're not going to see much fades. You saw some fades last year, a little bit. So that kind of boosts AJ Brown and Derrick Henry. I don't know. That was, that was my first read, but are you, are you thinking it might come in lower than that Diggle? I No, I was thinking maybe lower, but you, I feel like you have a better feel on it than I do. Uh, it still seems insane that I understand it's, you know, similar projected ownership to what he was last year, but also like this is foot surgery we're talking about in his very first game back. So I don't know. That seems like good enough reason to maybe go the other way and take AJ Brown and hopefully negative game script at all. So I've kind of been thinking about that one as well, but honestly, like right now, yeah, the bucks are big for me. Uh, Cam makers kind of ruined the Sony Michelle touchdown equity for me over mm-hmm. Cooper cup. So you can't go that one. And then I think the most popular one will probably be Devin Singletary over Josh Allen and Steph Diggs, wow. who had an awesome season. But, you know, th- there's a lot of reasons. I'm sure we'll talk about it throughout the offseason. But uh, just in naturally hitting regression this year and uh, not being really a ceiling player, uh, I think Singletary will probably get steamed quite a bit. Yeah, I saw someone say you think that. think it'll be similar to those guys? Yeah, <laughs> I, I really, really think so. Just, just given the hmm. overall peripherals of the last five games, um, 20 plus touches in three of his last four. We've seen Zach Moss now three consecutive games, although he's active over Matt Breen now, has not handled more than five carries in that stretch. So it's just literally all Devin Singletary soaking up more carries inside the five yard line than Josh Allen has over the last month as well. And so, yeah, I, I think Singletary is actually going to get pretty popular. I think the big difference between him and some of those backs, though, is that Josh Allen, Pat, you were saying Josh Allen's probably going to be the chalky QB, right? I think he still will be the chalk QB. Does, so is anyone else come to mind? I think Mahomes will be up from where he was last year because mm-hmm. we're not as sure about, about Hill and Kelsey. Uh, but I don't think he'll surpass Allen. I think I had my first uh, – I haven't even completed a full run of, of the projections yet, but I had Allen at maybe like 30%, um, and he was, I think, 38% last year, and I had Mahomes around 20%, and he was like, like you know, maybe 16 17% last so year. If so if Allen is 30 and Diggs is going to catch at least like 10-plus – uh, I don't think anyone will play Dawson Knox in this tight end slate. And I don't know about the other receivers, but Singletary, I, I could see him getting up there, but I don't know. I, I guess I would question if he can get over 50. Right, if, we'll I'm, if I'm thinking ahead, like I do love Singletary. So I'd love to get him around 40, 50%. Yeah, I, man. It, I was thinking that, you know, it would be more like, you know, something like 20 Singletary and like 40 yeah. digs. Well, so. I will- I will also just say to Daigle's point too, like I was kind of surprised even over the past few weeks, like projection systems were giving Singletary 
uh, a ton of of points. They were just continuing to project him well. And I think people finally over this stretch have just been like, all right, this isn't some gross, you know, committee and the team never runs. I, I could just feel kind of public sentiment swing back mm. into like, okay, I can trust Devin Singletary. Um, that's just kind of the vibe I've been getting. So I kind of agree. And the other thing, okay. the big elephant in the room with Singletary with Derrick Henry is Jonathan Taylor cover is gone. You know, that was going to soak up so, so much. And now people are really going to be looking for these spots. Um, and I, I could definitely see, you know, Taylor and Henry, or sorry, Henry and Singletary soaking up a lot of AFC running back plays. I mean, I freaking love Jonathan Taylor, but I'm so tilted they couldn't win and get in this tournament because Taylor was going to be on every single team. And, and, and rightfully so. They run the ball so much. Even when they lose, they run the ball a ton. But, like, there would have been a, a pretty solid equity, I think, in just softer, full-fading the Colts and saying they're going to lose and Taylor's not going to have enough points because he's not catching enough passes or whatever. Basically, the game that he had against Jags. I don't think he had a big final total. Uh, but, yeah, anyway, he's not in the tournament. Yeah. Um, what? Oh, I was going to ask you. I, I feel like on the running back front, too, what makes it so interesting and specifically in the NFC, I mean, a lot of these backfields are muddled, you know, as far as you can make, I think, pretty good cases for multiple running backs on, on a lot of these teams. So does that push people away from making stands on on any of these guys? I mean, Dago, what are your what are your thoughts on like Cardinals backfield, Rams backfield, you know, because there is a lot of uncertainty with these Chiefs backfield, I think, is another one, too. For these, and even we talked about the Bills, like maybe even Devin Singletary, it's all going to come down to the injury reports. Uh, the last few years, I can't recall this many question marks going into the postseason. We did add a couple teams, but just the fact that literally the decision between James Conner or Chase Edmonds is huge because it depends on which one's going to be available after Conner left that game with a rib injury. Uh, Gabriel Davis's usage comes down to is Emmanuel Sanders going to be healthy? Um, and then also just for uh, – what else are we dealing with? Um uh, oh, well, the Fournette stuff and like yeah. how how bullish are the uh, reports on Fournette coming back? Um, uh, yes, I think that's and one then, of the biggest. And they had, yeah, and they had mentioned that, and also Ronald Jones, by the way, behind Fournette, who's also injured now too. Ceh and Daryl Williams, Daryl Williams, who left with an injury, and so yeah, there's just I think that's what's going to happen here, and I do wonder, just like DFS, like whenever a couple weeks ago we got Chase Edmonds news 15 minutes before lineup lock. And so that was not a reason for me to jump on Chase Edmonds. That was a reason for me to fade him. And that was the one game he didn't do well because that's when everyone is just trying to tinker. Even if they know it's not in their best interest, <laughs> they're all just trying to change their lineup according to the most recent information they have. And so like if some of these injury reports come down on like Friday afternoon and it makes a huge difference in a chalk running back, I would just think that that's what people naturally do and react accordingly to that news. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I wanted to ask you about uh, Fournette and Gronk, there's actually like a whole series of decision points that go that's running back versus the tight end that I'm uh, that I'm basically saving for last as I'm going through and, and mm -hmm. doing these initial projections on ownership. Uh, but you know, Connor, Ertz, Zeke, Schultz, Fournette, Gronk, I think all of those are going to be really really key. Then not even to get into how much Kittle gets played over Debo, but I think those those tight end running back decisions are are really tough to think through right now. Are you, are you suggesting Gronk Fournette as Evans is the most obvious player? Or Evans is the one that's going to go overlooked. He's going to go overlooked. I think he'll go overlooked. I think he'll be the third most popular play of those. Three. I would take, uh, if I may steal from Pete, I may, I would take Evans in a vacuum over Gronk. Sure. <laughs> uh, well, and I think, I think that's something we're sort of seeing at least on our first look right now is that some mm -hmm. of these wide receivers feel like, they might wind up being – I mean, again, like to just do some like early week strategy stuff, one of the things I know that we consider as we talked about like the Acres play and some of these running back plays is that when the team plays multiple games, you got to factor in they're winning games, right? So they're going to be in some plus scripts. And certainly over a, enough games, three or four games into the Super Bowl, that's when you probably want your quarterback. You're probably projecting your quarterback to go all the way to the Super Bowl. But as far as a team that maybe makes a run from the wild card weekend to – the conference title, which obviously with only one buy, there's going to be team, you know, a team on each side that does that minimum. And, and then if the one seeds were to lose in the divisional round, you could have even a third team or a fourth team that make that run and, and play three games, but not play the Super Bowl. Those teams are winning two games. You probably want your running back to come from those situations because they're going to compile some stats and plus game script. It's not a certainty. 
And then the situations where a team loses and only plays one game, obviously they're probably throwing in a come from behind. Like I was just talking about the Taylor example and then saying from the Jags game yesterday, like that's the kind of stat line even a good running back can have in a game where his team ends up behind, has to throw a bunch, then you might want the receivers in those scenarios. So really thinking through the way the games are going to be played and everything. If you're picking a team to lose in the first round, you're probably going to be more likely to be on the pass catchers, on the receivers. But yeah, a lot of these running back tight end decisions broadly that you guys are just talking about, the Evans situation, um, what, what was another one? You were talking about a couple other ones. But there's receivers in there. Oh, you're uh, talking about Sh- Schultz and Zeke, I think. Yeah, there's yeah. receivers there you yeah. can play. The Cardinals you're talking about, Christian Kirk could could wind up being the play for the Cardinals. If they play one game and they lose, sure. and Connor and Ertz don't have a big game, Christian Kirk could wind up being the guy. Or, hell, even A.J. Green, I don't know. Uh, I didn't know Leary was on this, uh, on this one, but I'm going <laughs> to cover for him. He's always yeah. lurking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say there's a question John was asking if there's any way to fade Adams. And I, I think that's kind of an interesting way to think through, like, you, you know, this point about fading, uh, fading certain teams and thinking through the bracket as you do. Like, if you're going to fade Adams, they have to play one game, right? Like, and maybe you could go Lazard. Or something like that, or maybe you could go Aaron Jones or AJ Dillon. But AJ Dillon's pretty tough because are they are they is AJ Dillon getting there in a one game and out scenario for the Packers? So I think I'd rather like play Lazard and just hope he gets a couple touchdowns and a loss. But then you need to play, uh, and ideally you're playing like maybe a bit of a contrarian play on uh, on the bracket in general. So like if you were going to play the Cardinals to go to the conference championship game, for example then maybe you would pair that with uh, an Adams fade because the Cardinals would most likely be going through Green Bay. So I think you'd want to think through something like that. I think if I was fading Adams, I would play it as a soft or hard fade. I mean, I think that both the Packers and Titans are kind of interesting to consider from a fade perspective because they could also play only one game, right? That's true, yeah. The Titans certainly could. The Packers, we know, don't run a ton of plays. And so let's say like the the Niners beat the Cowboys and go on to play the Packers as a sixth seed, which would happen if the Bucks also beat the the Eagles. You could see a yep. you'd basically be playing a Niners Packers game where the Niners control the game, they run the ball, they go in and they just absolutely crush the Packers. The Packers just have a horrible offensive game, basically. I mean that's that's the way I yeah. see Adams not getting there. Yeah, which is yeah, which is kind of what I'm saying. Uh, although you're just it's a more direct version, but you want to play them to play one game, and then you need to figure out who's going to beat them. Yeah, it's it's what makes it interesting for Cooper Cup as well because you could get two games at a cup, and then one or two out of Adams because they could meet down the road, uh, and those are going to be the two receivers that I know everyone will be talking about. It's it's obviously harder to get away from Cup in my opinion because there are so fewer options to like confidently go to like Aaron Jones we can make a case for the passing game usage AJ Dillon if you think the Packers extend all the way to the NFC Championship game is fine um, for the Rams though like. Just the way they've used their players over the last month, really. Like Odo Beckham has scored a couple touchdowns, but even those came inside the 10 just on like fade routes. He hasn't really been an explosive option for them. They've only been filtering through Cup. And now the running back situation without Michelle has become a muddled backfield that we can't, we honestly just can't pick either. And so uh, really it's just hard for me to get off Cup. Yeah, it's really hard yeah. to get off Cup. I think he's going to be like 90% owned or more. Yeah. It's wild. You would have and, to make the one game argument. And even then, like, yeah, you know, one game from 100 there. yards. Like, and when I look at these one game options, even someone like Clay, Chase Claypool comes to mind. Uh, you know, he, he for five, five games in a row, his route participation increased so much so he was on the field for 96% of the team's dropbacks this past game and a season high 91% of snaps. And now he goes into the playoffs with this elite usage. Uh, but even so, like, you know, he has to, if I use him in one game elimination, he has to respond like a Cooper Cup would. And so that's why it's just, you know, even if these teams are fading or thinking about getting on for one game samples, it's still just really hard looking for that ceiling option here. The yeah. biggest cop to Cup for me is Michael Thomas in 2019 when he broke the mm. receptions record and was incredible. Mm-hmm. And they went in and they did get upset in the first round by the Vikings. And Michael Thomas went seven for 70. The difference is, that was a scenario where you had Michael Thomas and a very clear running back in Alvin Kamara to target. Yeah. And Kamara had a rushing TD. I think he was the right play ultimately over Thomas. But does this Rams team have – I mean, they like they don't have a clear they don't running have back. Anybody. They, they, yeah. So it's like, I mean, yeah, if this was like four weeks from now, maybe it would be Akers. But I don't, Akers is very, very tough to – I mean, I'm not even saying you couldn't play Akers, but 
the percentage of the field on acres is going to be like one percent or maybe i was like sort of excited to play him but then even just watching him this week like it was not i don't think fournette was played last year in this tournament so that you know to give you a an idea like Rojo was like 15% and Fournette was like 0%. We were so, still we were still very much like on the fence about who would be the lead running back. Uh yeah. a lot of people thought it would be Fournette given the usage over the last month of the season. But remember, that's when Ronald Jones was also injured. So we weren't sure what's going to happen when he was coming back for the playoffs. Right. Now we're we're already certain. Like we know it's going to be Fournette if you no, no, yeah. I, I was making the comp to the Ram situation just in that like mm-hmm. I don't think people are gonna feel comfortable projecting it to be Cam Akers. Um <sighs> And, you know, in a in a run, even if even though like we saw last year, that could certainly happen. And even if we project Acres, uh, how much will Sony Michelle be used? And more importantly, if it's all Acres, how effective will he be? Since right. on, the you know, effectiveness is what I was right. talking about. From, like he's still clearly hobbled. Right. That was what I was talking about from last this week eighteen yesterday. He got eight touches and had thirteen yards. Like yeah. that to me was like, ugh. you know, even watching him, like it's it's amazing that he made it back. But watching him, I'm like. I, even if he plays a lot, I don't see a lot of scenarios where he winds up putting up the the production. So that's why I, I just keep going back to Henry too. It's like, does is Henry like twenty one carries for forty three yards, and then we get the hell out of there? Like, I'm just worried. So Pat, just as a thought experiment for people, if they are thinking about, let's say, say they play a Rams hard fade, and let's say Cup goes for twenty five in a loss, what are the things you need? to survive that as far as cup appearing in the optimal. You'd probably need to hit on, you know, another shootout that people didn't play. Like you'd need to get on like a clay pool or something. If he goes off, cause he's going to be like, you know, 1%, 2% owned because people are, they're fading the Steelers. They're playing Najee. Uh, and then if any, there's any wide receiver love, it'll probably go to Deontay. So if you found something like that, uh, you know, you, you could get there. But more likely, you probably need to, like, if you're, let's say you faded Cup, you did it because you're betting on the Cardinals to advance. So maybe you have Kyler quarterback. And then if the Cardinals go to the Super Bowl with Kyler quarterback, I think that's the more likely. But, I mean, it does make it hard to fade Cup because, you know, maybe there's a Kyler team who who has Cup, uh, right. you know, that you're competing against once you get to the Super Bowl. So uh, you you kind of need, I think, Cup to to do like the Michael Thomas seven for 70 if you're fading him. Yeah. And that's why I just think those thought experiments are good because then you, like if you just can't envision a world where he's going for less than seven for 70, like you obviously can't fade him. And then otherwise you need to be really purposeful with where am I making up those points? Because a 25 spot from cup is very likely to be in the optimal, which to be clear, I, I think I can't envision a world where he goes seven for 70. Like if they (laughs) lose, they're going to throw more. And in that scenario, I mean, go look at his game log. Even these last couple of weeks, he's only had seven targets, but he did better than that in both games. But like all season, double-digit targets every single week, he has not had fewer than 90 yards since week four. That's the only game all year that he had fewer than 90 yards. I mean, it... it... Right. And if they win, I mean, you're just drawing dead at that point because now they're, everyone's getting two games out of cup and you're getting, you know, two games out of whatever you try to do, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's OBJ or... And, and to Dale's point, there's no pivots. What are we supposed to do if we don't take them? Yeah. Um, this is a really good question from John uh, here. What's the merit to getting unique versus playing the best plays in this contest? This format is such a merge of game types. No. And this is, you know, hinting at, you don't, you don't need to galaxy brain a lot of spots in this contest. The ways to get unique are, are fairly easy, but I think it's still kind of a mind fuck as far as how unique do you have to get? I, w- I wouldn't say you necessarily need the teams going to the Super Bowl. But then again, maybe you do. Like you want your teams to go to the Super Bowl to get those double points. And so like even the best plays, maybe that doesn't lead us to the Super Bowl team. So that's kind of really what we're all figuring out here is not only do we project, but then how do we get the most points every single round? Yeah, and I think you don't want to be taking guys like, like don't select Cole Beasley. You know, like he'll he'll right. be 0% owned. You know, like don't don't go that far down the depth charts, uh, you know, even though he's obviously a, a starter for them. But, you know, I think if you think about like Amari Cooper, Amari Cooper is going to be very low owned. He'll be single digits because you're going to have, you know, lots of ownership go to Zeke and Schultz and CD will catch most of the wide receiver ownership. I think um, you could, you could say like CEH, you know, CEH is going to be super low owned because there's three guys that are all going to be popular ahead of him. 
So there's lots of situations like that, I think, where, um, you know, like if you had the guts to play Julio Jones, which is probably not a great play, but like if you wanted to do that in a Titans lose scenario, you know, and who he was in the optimal if, if we look at last week's game, but something like that, you know, a starting a, a guy who's a starting wide receiver uh, and and maybe the secondary the secondary receiving option on his team potentially uh, could could be what? very low owned. A really good player from last year to discuss on this is Juju because he was very low owned and he wound up being Pittsburgh's highest scoring player in a one and done situation. Was he in the winner? I mean, he had to have been in the winning lineup, right? Like, so I guess my question is like, if you get to like a 5% or less play, there's only 7,000 lineup, you know, lineups here. Does, if that play hits, does, is that required to win the tournament? Uh, Pat, do you have the winning lineup from last year? I'm, I'm really, I think Peter, are you saying. trying to pull it up? Oh, I wasn't. No, no, I don't have it. Claypool was a uh, man. I think he was like nine to eleven percent, and he had fifty yards and two touchdowns in the first game in that elimination yeah. game. So I'd be interested to see if Claypool was in there too. Yeah, and I also think you know to Pat's point, like the 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 way I would think about it, the two ways that you can get unique in not like two galaxy brain ways, like you said, these uh, offenses that have three or four guys that are all getting around a similar market share and one's not pulling ahead where the field feels confident or playing the underdog studs. We mentioned the Josh Jacobs, Pat mentioned Chase Claypool. If you want to throw in Dallas Goddard, like these guys that could have an alpha game. That's a good one. And, and there's two ways, like you can hit it on two levels, right? Like you can hit the Dallas Goddard alpha game in a loss. And you could also get two really good games out of him in a For win too. Yeah. So you don't have to be like, exactly specific on how the Eagles do. Like if you do get one of those as the alpha game, I think or the Devontae biggest Smith, thing, like he's yeah. going to be 5% on and yeah, you know, cause I think cause I, people I, will funnel the Goddard when they don't fade. Right. I, I think the biggest thing with like the juju point I'm trying to make in, in a lot of these discussions that we're having is thinking through the guy has to be the, the, the highest scoring player on his team as well. Like that other element where like, cause you can only have one. It comes down to like the, like, Dago brought up Claypool. Claypool had a big game in that one. I think uh, Deontay had double digits as well. Everyone was playing Deontay, but Juju wound up scoring the most, as I recall, out of the three. But they all were good. But the reality is, like, you're comparing to the other rosters that are that are built in this contest. And so by having Juju over Claypool, like, you could basically have the same roster everywhere else. But um, you gain – even if you only gain, like, two points, that might end up being what, what propels you to that one extra spot and gives you the win. So, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think through this difference of, like – in a scenario where you still had a, a, a good play at a higher ownership. I mean, like I know last year we were really excited. We played a lot of AJ Brown. Derrick Henry came in monster Brown beat him by like only a few points, but just the fact that now we were ahead of all of the Derrick Henry lineups where we had Brown everywhere. Even if we were the same everywhere else, if we get to the final, you, you have to have everything right. When you get to the final, you have to have the QB that's in the super bowl and, and has the bigger stat line in the super bowl. Cause you get two X quarterback is just one of those positions where it's really hard i think to, to to fill your quarterback spot from a team that doesn't make the super bowl because of the 2x and the fact that they're going to get points in that scenario um but yeah I, I ultimately like those really small amounts where the guy outscores the rest of his teammates in a loss and there's going to be six teams that lose this weekend in the first weekend right um a lot of this is going to be determined in this first weekend. Just like, did you have the highest score on these one and done teams? Cause that's what you're going to need. In or the, the two and duns. I remember last year one was Baltimore, right? Cause they upset Tennessee. So go. let's say you, you had um, AJ Brown or a Tennessee, some kind of Derrick Henry fade who was mega, mega chalk. And then, uh, then you needed to get the Baltimore player, right? And there was three guys, Marquise Brown, JK Dobbins, and Mark Andrews who were all kind of like in that second game with the bills. They were just like all fighting it out. So this Timu comment is super, super interesting. And for anyone who's on audio, it says Juju. Pete just pulled it up. Juju was at 10.2%. He was on the perfect roster, but Claypool at 13.9% was on the winning roster. So one of the things I was trying to think through there when I brought up the Brown Henry thing was if you get Brown to just score over Henry, but Henry 70% owned, the play you're making is not playing Henry. So now you've moved ahead of all the Henry plays. In that scenario, um, or like even like the I think like the Beasley point's a good example this year because Diggs isn't going to be particularly high. We don't know if Singletary will be. You're not gaining as much by hitting Juju correct in that scenario. And ultimately Claypool ended up winning because there, there wasn't like a clear fade necessarily. I mean, Deontay was the clear fade, but Claypool got outscored by Juju, but was still 
in the winning roster because you're talking about percentages of 10% and 13% that are only a couple hundred lineups ultimately for this whole contest, which there's like, you know, 7,000 or whatever. You see what I'm saying? Like if you're not, if you're, if you're not hitting on a 5% who outscores his teammate by maybe just a couple of points in conjunction with a teammate, that teammate being like a 70% play, then you're not actually yeah, yeah. realizing the same game because if his teammates only 13% or whatever, it could kind of be either of them because you have to get all the other pieces right still. Yeah. Right? And, and right. this is a good point too. And this kind of gets into conversations we have with DFS. There is an actual risk. Like when you're playing DFS, when we're talking about being contrarian, you're actually not really worried about being duplicated because with nine roster spots, it's just very unlikely, but there are going to be dupes on the most popular lineups in this contest. And, and you don't want to be duplicated. That's going to be one of the things we're going to start to get at this week, tomorrow with Davis, early ownership projections, Wednesday with our buddy Hassan revealing the boomer opto. And I don't know off the top of my head i might be pulling this out of my ass but i want to say there was a lineup that was like ro like rostered 150 sometimes last year i'm yeah, not sure like, yet you, you said nine spots but like remember in dfs even we can go down to 3k guys ain't no one's yeah, playing right. byron pringle exactly into, it's like, a narrow so, pool so actually we're, we're talking about like what 45 players really we're thinking about and that's it so yeah of course we're probably going to dupe one another and yeah so that and then the conversation it's the same with dfs right it's how many, you don't want to be over leveraged, right? Like you don't want to go, I'm taking, you know, uh, Aaron Jones over Adams. And then I'm taking acres over, you know, cup and that like, you don't have to go down the board, but it's now finding that sweet spot of, you don't want to eat every one of those chalks. You do need to make some leverage questions. It's just how far do you go? With yeah. It? Cause then it gets to the point where even if you win, you're, you're splitting it. Uh, it's like right. for something. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I forget. You know, we should. Uh, I bet Fantasy Mojo has that. And by the way, uh, shout out to Fantasy Mojo. Uh, check out his site for the past ownership projections or ownership uh, results for this contest. He's got. I should also mention he has a really cool new thing. He has an optimizer out for this year for the playoff contest with projections, so you can run different scenarios and and see it. So definitely check out uh, FantasyMojo.com for his optimizer if you're looking to get into the weeds on that. FFPC slowly getting all grown up. That's right. <laughs> um, what do you think? Should we, uh, I say we kind of, you know, we, we, we got to pace ourselves this week. We are doing five <laughs> shows. Why don't we, uh, I, told, wrap like, up I, I know you invited me on to start the week, but I also, I did want to go like heavy. I've done a lot of research into matchups already just cause you know, we kind of knew yeah. what the seeds were going to happen, but overall, like I also didn't want to like ruin the show because I know you have so many more guests and so much more time to fill. That's probably going to talk about the same thing. So yeah, I'm we can fire get off some matchup stuff. We can yeah, yeah, please. This is we what we want. Laid back, honestly, if you would like, like it doesn't matter to me at all. No, I, I was going to transition us into building a lineup. So maybe that's the perfect yeah, vehicle that. for firing off well, some of those takes. I, I think we should take a minute. Dangle, go give my game real quick. Give us all the matchup <laughs> notes. <laughs> I'm going to open a notes app real quick. <laughs> that's right um, let's go ahead and build a lineup I'll, I'll share some thoughts as we move along there why don't why don't you kick us off with maybe kind of a, a big you know macro or or say micro take that uh is informing one of your decisions here yeah uh i don't want to get too contrarian early right now it's only monday but right now i already mentioned clay pull for the the usage reasons i cited i do i do think he's a good start or i, I still kind of like miles sanders quite mm. a bit I think wow. you could sneakily get two games out of him. More importantly, I think he's going to be heavily involved regardless. Even if you get a one-score game script, um, the fact they were leaning on him heavily, even in the game that Jordan Howard was available for, right before he got injured, I'm actually pretty confident in him. So those are my kind of two early contrarian plays right now. Uh, I will ju I'll yeah. just keep it easy, though, and start with... Hang on, real quick on Miles yeah. Sanders. What, what's the deal with his broken hand? Like, what? It, it sounds like you think he's going to be back fully healthy. I, we don't know just yet. Uh, okay. Just like Fournette, they have said some broad messages that he's going to return. Uh, I think he'll be good to go. And if he's good to go, that's the best part about this injury. Like Elijah Mitchell, it was like upper body. It was just like a hand. And so, like, once he gets in there, everyone's worried about, like, re-injury. This is not Derrick Henry foot surgery. It's your hand. I don't care. And so, uh, you know, the use the usage was good regardless before he got injured. And so that's why I jumped to him in this spot. Again, like I said, the Bucks defense, the rush defense has been actually atrocious over the last month in particular and just since in the second half of the season, since week nine. So that's why I kind of sneakily like him quite a bit. And it, I mean, 
as long as he scores enough to be not a, a, a fade situation for the Eagles. Right. You know, one of the issues, obviously, with the Eagles is how much Hurts can eat up. But Hurts isn't going to probably be the likely QB unless the Eagles make a run. I mean, I guess there's probably scenarios that they make a run to the NFC Championship where Hurts could be the optimal, especially like if it was only three, if it was, say, a Green Bay, Tennessee Super Bowl. And so you're only getting three games from the other. There's no team that plays four games this year. It could be Hurts. But in all likelihood, if the Eagles play two games, it could be, you know, it could be a standard. I mean, I, I think that's actually really interesting. Um, all right, Daigle, start us off. Uh, I'm going to go Mike Evans. Um, I like apologies it. if someone wanted Gronk. Uh, I just think it, it's such a awesome spot that, like you said, I was shocked you said he'd go overlooked. I thought everyone would catch on. But, like, right now, Mike Evans only had an 18.7% target share yesterday but played the fewest snaps he's played in a full game all year and was Tampa's only receiver with any amount of end zone targets. Uh, Evans hasn't reached a 28% target share in any game all year, but that's because he's been playing with Chris Godwin and Rob Gronkowski, or Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski. Now imagine a a life where Evans is going to play every single snap and then also get all these targets without Godwin and Antonio Brown moving forward. So I think Evans is just like an awesome ceiling play compared to God, compared to Gronk. So, where where are you at on where the ownership comes in on the three of those guys? Because that's that's going to be, I think, one of the key things to get right. So um, we discussed it a lot throughout the show. My issue is that just like last year and you mentioning and main event even uh, filling up by, I think John or someone had mentioned in the chat like Thursday morning, Friday morning, it was filled by. Um, these things get popular generally every single year. Also why like main event was so much more popular this year. Um, And I've seen so many people already touting shows for the playoff challenge. I genuinely think it's going to get jammed this year. Uh, I think we're looking at like a Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening getting filled just because there's so much content now around this one playoff format that everyone loves so much. Uh, that's so much it's so much more different than best ball which is easily accessible so much more different than dfs which people are tired of because it's too sharp this year and so yeah i I just think everyone like i really think it's going to be the most popular contest so uh i think ownership is going to shift like drastically in the next 48 hours next 72 hours and like the more people talk about the same plays over and over again that's what's ultimately going to get steamed that's why i kind of think at the end of the week we may be looking at higher Mike Evans and higher Devin Singletary. But right now, uh, at what we are projecting on Monday, at least, those are two, I think, of my favorite plays. Gotcha. All right, Gretch, who do you want to put in here? Uh, let's just do Cup. I mean, let's <laughs> <laughs> I just want to start with Cooper Cup. <laughs> Don't sound so excited. I'm not going to uh, allow us to fade Cooper Cup in our first lineup. That's what I've decided. Uh, Pat. Well, given that he might not be the most popular play uh, on his team, as I thought he probably still would be, he's 57% owned last year, but I'm going to go Stefan Diggs if, if we're thinking maybe he ends up in the high 20s. Okay. Let's do it. Um, what do we think that – should I just give us a – should I give us a Mahomes lineup here? Yeah, it works for me. Yeah, I'll go Mahomes. Sure. Uh, I'm not – Back to Daigle. We're already running out of running backs, eh? Uh, do we have a lean <laughs> early on Debo Samuel or George Kittle? Like projection-wise? I bet it's going to be pretty even. I think I think it's going to be lean Debo, just given the the recent results. But yeah, um, and, and you Kittle certainly allows you to do other stuff. Yeah, you don't really need the tight end, yeah. That's true. Uh what is your lead? Like, what are you? Who would you rather play in a vacuum? I think Kittle. Um, Interesting. But it's it's all good yeah. though. Uh, the tight end premium might push people though. I mean, and I saw a comment about Elijah Mitchell being this year's acres. I think he's a reasonable bet too, and and Elijah might get a little bit of of interest. It, it maybe Debo comes in a little low. How about this year's Moster? You know. Yeah. There you go. From two hmm. years ago. Well, yeah. then I can't pick between them. I'm going to let someone else do it. I'll just go. Uh, should we go? We talked about the Devontae Adams Cooper Cup scenario. Should we go Devontae Adams? I think I was I was going to take him. I think if you're taking Mahomes, you're probably not playing for a four-week quarterback on the other side. You're probably – I mean, most likely Mahomes is the guy when when it's yeah. a Green Bay, uh, a Green Bay yeah. Super Bowl. Um, no, I'll take – you know what? Uh, I'll, let some, I'll let you make the decision then, Gretchen. Uh, I'll go Mixon. I want Mixon. Okay. I like that. Nice, nice. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll throw Adams in. I'm having su- oh, tons of fun taking Cup and Adams. Obviously, I have the best <laughs> yeah, picks so far. Uh, my guys are going to score more than all of your picks. Uh, I, yeah, okay. I think KC for Mahomes, I think it makes a lot of sense to take Green Bay to the Super Bowl. It, it's like probably the most likely scenario where Mahomes is the right QB. And so Adams is is probably a lock in that, in that outcome. All right, so we need right, to make a decision about Dallas is Dallas. a big decision. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go Dallas D. Wow. Whoa. Right. Here we go. There's where we get off the board. Here we go. Um, all right. Yeah. Cause I was, I was even tempted to just throw Zeke into this. Just, I mean, if we can't have Diggle <laughs> on the I stream and Zeke I had, yeah, seriously. So Zeke is going to get popular as a contrarian option, right? I don't like, cause no one wants to play him for talent. But who's, who's the popular option on Dallas then? Who's the who's the chalk option? I think you already mentioned. I think it's CeeDee Lamb or Dalton Schultz. Yeah. I think those guys, I think the three of them come in pretty even. Yeah. I could see that. Um, I, I am going to do the Eli Mitchell. We lost nice. uh, the visual. Yeah, oh, oops. The... Here we go. Let's get Eli Mitchell back. So this, this is one of the items we were dancing around, Crane, is that, you know, now strategy comes in where how many people are going to play this player against like their defense. Right. Right. Yeah. And Elijah Mitchell yeah. is just an analogy for any other player versus the defense. Uh, they would probably rather choose the team they're fading as opposed to having a player go up against their defense. But I think it's warranted right here. One thing we do have already, I'll just note is we have one player from every wild card game, one winner basically from every, I mean, they don't all have to be winners, but we have, we have at least one skill player. And then also Mahomes from every wild card game, so we don't have anything that we like feel like we need to make sure we're not fading both sides of a game. Gotcha. Um, all right, two flexes, tight end, and place kicker. Who are we back over to? I think Daigle. You just took. Yeah, Mitchell. I yeah back to Daigle. Uh, I'm not making the Derrick Henry AJ Brown decision for us. I'll let one of y'all do that. Um, ben, do you want to uh, do you want to make that decision? I mean, I I, I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. Look at how far you have to scroll down. You have to scroll past Hunter Renfro to get to AJ Brown. <laughs> what a disrespect! Just a, um, I, I like Claypool. I mentioned him earlier. Let's just go Claypool. All right. Now I like that against too- uh, against Mahomes because you're playing week week one as a shootout, which is great for the Mahomes pick. So I think something that's interesting here is we have not taken a tight end and we have Mahomes in. So we have Kelsey playing four games. We're going to need a tight end who's playing multiple games. We also, you know, we played Evans over Gronk. We did some of these other things that we're going to need a tight end who's capable of playing multiple games to compete. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's him or. It's him. (laughs) That's who I was thinking. That's where I was going. It's got to be Ertz because we took the cup chalk. So we're we're better off if if Ertz advances instead of cup, in a sense. We and we have the Niners winning, and so they're going to play the Packers, and so now you can get the Cardinals into three games without going through the Packers, who we're also kind of seeing in the Super Bowl. It's Ertz. It's got to be Ertz. It's got to be Ertz. Yeah, I already know what's going to happen too. We're going to spend so much time building lineups this week, and this is going to end up being our best lineup. That's just, like how, <laughs> that's just how it always goes. <laughs> uh, and then it's Carlson, right? And we just lost Daigle. <laughs> as oh. soon as Ertz got on there, he said he's out. Daigle was out. Uh, Carlson. Uh, so we're, yeah, full full fade on New England and Philly. Are our... Which I think will be two of the most popular. Yeah. Fades. Yeah. What do you, so yeah. Because people will go like Damian Harris or full fade on New England mostly. You could do so. one of their kickers. I mean, the fact that we played like Evans, for example, might mean that Philly actually pushes Tampa a little. And the fact that we played Mixon means that they maybe run all over. Uh, you know, the Raiders just don't show up. You could maybe make a case for the Eagles kicker. I don't know about Patriots with Diggs. I mean, I, maybe that's, a, I don't know. Maybe I think I'm Patriots saying. defense might get a little bit of love. Yeah, you know, just play for you getting passing attempts against them probably. Is uh, Silva choking the Wi-Fi with all that all twenty-two film? 
Yeah, he just woke up, so I'm sure he started <laughs> using something. He's watching old randomizer streams. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you would not believe, by the way, how often that happens. <laughs> I know Silva's a big fan. I get it. Um, well, Daigle, we appreciate you uh, coming on and kicking off uh, five straight days of FFPC Playoff Challenge programming here on Ship Chasing. What did we do for our last Cardinals pick? That's when the computer froze. There it was Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz. Yeah, Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz anytime that? you can play Chalk Daniel Carson, you got to. <laughs> you got to do it. <laughs> <You> have to. <laughs> We already made our big, uh, you know, Dallas defense, as as Willis pointed out in the in the chat, pretty contrarian uh, pick there. Well, someone take a screenshot of this, and then you take a screenshot of your lineup Friday for your last stream, because I guarantee you, you're gonna galaxy brain yourself into the craziest shit at the end of this. Episode. I uh, I, I am gonna we're gonna build a lineup at the end of each show this week, and uh, I will do this. I'll do this SC Daigle, and we will uh, we each can lineup is, each lineup so is we... progressively going to get worse, thinking it gets better. <laughs> Did we play six receivers in that? We pull that back up, Pete. Yeah. We played no, yeah, all flex receivers. Very. It's a uh, ship chasing team, I'll tell you that. Yeah, it's a ship chasing team. We forgot about tight end in a tight end premium format. Right. (laughs) I'm I'm glad I could just simply fit in. Yes. Um, (laughs) Daigle, any any other plugs for for you here? What, What are you up to this week? Yeah, it's the wild card. You know where to follow me. If not, then you'll figure it out eventually. Uh, also, I'll be doing playoff-only rankings at NBCSportsEdge.com. I guess right now I'm going for Tuesday night, Wednesday morning release, and I'll have them updated, and it's rankings according to the entire postseason. So basically which teams I think will go to the Super Bowl and then which players I think are like contrarian but intelligently contrarian ranked higher than some of the perhaps like play-the-best-plays guys. So you can look for that at the site. Awesome. Yes. Gretch, Crane, anything else uh, here before? I mean, we'll be back in less than twenty-four hours because that's what that's what we're doing this week. That's that's. The I will have the I will have the walkthrough out on Friday uh, for the. Oh, nice. So going through, yeah. That, that's we got to do four shows before the walkthrough and then try to figure it all out on Friday. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's gonna be a busy week. That's right. Yeah. So to so to recap, tomorrow at four, we'll have Davis Maddock on Wednesday nine fifteen. Hassan and Blair Boomer Opto show Thursday. Very excited to welcome Sean Siegel back to the program nine fifteen p.m. Eastern, and then we will wrap things up on Friday nine fifteen p.m. Eastern. We are running back our drunk build show with Leone and Dink. Chaos will ensue. We'll be needing to get our lineups in, but we'll also be having a very good time drinking. Always a tight rope to to walk on a Friday evening. <laughs> we will be here all week. I'm Pete Overzet. We'll see you guys tomorrow.